Hey everyone, this is Socratic Hobbits, a podcast where Kyle Morse and me, Daniel Hayward, try to ask big questions and then answer them. Sometimes we stay on topic. Thanks for listening. parents have a farm and this is the first i know about this what's uh what do they what do they grow on it well nothing right now i mean we had sheep and goats at various points um 15 12 15 acre section which my brother cross fenced five acres off of um and then there are three like five acre ish slightly under five acre sections um speaking of acreage i worked on a Amazon warehouse today I actually just sent it off and it was a 12 acre roof 12 acres of steel uh yeah and and f- fancy like fancy plywood which if they had priced this um six months ago no three months ago eight months I don't know whatever it is it would have been at least oh, twice as much when wood was high when wood was real high yeah so you say it's a fancy plywood what's it's, struck, it. it's a it's a it's a rated plywood most of the oh, plywood okay. that you would get at home depot or something else is probably right. not rated it has not it been it has not been engineered and tested to withstand a set load it can probably withstand that set load it just has not been evaluated it does not have the stamp stamps are worth a lot of money yeah yeah well we we need uh we need ways to be able to trust one another in a kind of a low trust situation right you have uh essentially like how do you know that the contractor how do you know as an owner that you are getting what you are paying for or hoping to pay for and that's the way that we agree everybody kind of keeps each other in checks and balance you know there's checks and balances to keep everybody like honest um it's one of the reasons that you hear so many stories about um that you know bad general contractors dealing with homeowners um, because it's a uh, there's basically in, incentives for a general contractor to it's a one off deal it's usually it's a one off deal so actually in you and I've talked about it a handful of times um, Naval that podcast yep. that's what I was thinking about yeah yeah it's like you and I both listened to it um, this is a while ago it was. I mean, I think I've listened to that podcast, even though it's quite long. I've probably listened to two or three times. I think there's it's a lot of. I think so. Yeah. Um. But you know, then you say, well, to the general contractor, if you're going to have a big project done, like, hey, this is our first bathroom that we're doing, which mm-hmm. I'll get into in a minute if you'd like. We're having all of the plumbing in our house replaced. So, but you all have- all the old pipes. Yeah, so, well, you know what? We'll just get into it right now because it's not that long of a story. About a week ago, uh, my wife noticed, hey, why is this wall kind of wet looking? Oh, it's kind of spongy. And so we called a plumber, had them come out, and they're like, oh, there's mold under your shower. Let me take a quick look around. And um, I don't know how to describe what our pipes look like. He, t- he sent me a picture. Um but they're disgusting. And he, he basically said, I have never seen pipes that look like this. And uh, in Are this they... area, so they're galvanized steel. 
Okay. And they're they, 50 years old. They're and, not... And in um, a wet environment. Yeah. Um, yep. One way to phrase it would be not ideal. Didn't, wasn't there something with the wiring with that house too? Mm, no. I had uh, one bad like fixture and... Um, is it copper plugged. or is it aluminum? The wiring? Yeah. I don't know. Probably copper. I don't think of aluminum as particularly... There, there were a few years back in the... 70s when they used wire aluminum wiring well i don't think that they used i think that this is copper wired because i've seen them good the, the house was 19 built in 1970 so or 1969 right in there but anyway so if you, you have a general <laughs> contractor that you're working with at your house one way to say one way to make it more than just a one-off is to say mm-hmm. this is the first bathroom that we're doing and here's another project that we're planning on doing we would like you know if this goes well we'll we'll have another project for you or um i have a large friend group i know that you know there's i've got a couple of people who are interested in having a project like this done right and then it becomes a little bit of a you can you can make it like we're going to you know it's not just a one-off then if that makes sense although yep i think that wouldn't work particularly well right now because there are, it's just hard to find good labor or any labor at this point. Yeah. And so, yeah, it doesn't, it's not, it's not, it's not a perfect solution for that. Yeah. How and, do you get people to think long-term when things are so hot right now? Yeah. Well, and I don't even know. I think at a certain point things will start to constrict because of uh, labor shortages. How long-term do you think this labor shortage is? Like, because I've been playing around in my in my mind, is is this just people who feel like they lost twenty twenty, and so they're going to take a year off because they didn't spend any money going out to eat, and then they're going to need to come back and get a job in twenty twenty three or twenty twenty four. I think this is a permanent thing. Even with inflation going up, people aren't going to be driven to move back. Um, it's possible that they will, but there's so. My dad is kind of one of the last years of the baby boomers. Right. And if you look at our age of population, like one of a really good place to invest probably right now would be in nursing homes. I think they'll get start to get very busy if not, you know, not already. But yeah, I do. I do really think we're kind of I, just about to go down the, the slope at the mountain. You know, we're like just starting to things are going to speed up. But, I, you know, that's that's a very general impression I have Uh from the industry that I'm in. So are there a lot of um, people in construction who are like 60? Yeah. I mean, the last place that I was working at um, in the office side and even on our labor side, it was this way. I mean, but not not to the degree because you can't. our owner was probably the youngest person in the office besides myself. And he's 50, but one of the other co-owners is 75. And I don't know if you remember, but one of the reasons they let me go was because they couldn't just hand me a set of plans and say, take off the concrete. Uh Uh, In their opinion, it would take a year of uh, diligent tutelage in order to train me. That being said, I've done some large concrete jobs at this point and have like, I've learned a lot. I've made mistakes, but 
I've also done 90% of the work and they just didn't want to train me. So whatever. All that being said, the guy who's 75 is the one doing that. My old boss, um, who was the one who I think was a part of that decision to let me go. He's 67, 68. Um, one of the guys who did the concrete before the old guy who's now doing it retired on his 80th birthday. Wow. Um, and I mean, what do you do when you've been working until you're 80? Like, I don't, I don't know. Presumably you, you just go and lay down and take a, I don't know. He had been working half time for, I think five years. Okay. So he had sort of started easing into it. Yeah. And he had really wanted to retire and then they just kept offering him more and more and more money. <laughs> and I, I went, at one point I had asked him about it and I was just, he was just like, yeah, at a, at a certain point it was like, it was, I mean, it was well worth it. And you know, work, come in, work three days a week for four or five hours and go home and, and that's all right. Like, yeah. I don't know. And I was just like, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Cause you know, he's collecting unemployment and not unemployment, excuse me, uh, retirement of some kind at that age. Probably anyway. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, if you've been working for like 60 years. Should have. a. I mean, yeah, it depends on what you're spending. <laughs> you could have two for. full careers, right? Yeah. I mean, like I said, it depends on what your spending habits were. I mean, I really got the impression that he was more than ready to retire. Probably. He knew how to manage both stuff at work and stuff at home. Yeah. Yeah. But he wanted to like travel before he was too old to travel. And I'm like. Uh, buddy, I don't know. I don't know how many years you have of good travel time, but he was pretty, pretty spry for an 80 year old man. I mean, I did hear someone making a comment about Henry Kissinger, who's in his nineties now and was secretary of state under one of the, under like Kennedy Johnson, Nixon, one of those guys in there. And he's, he's now grappling with like, issues with society and new technology. Um, hmm. So yeah. which reminds me of an incorrect text I sent to someone earlier today where they're asking me. No, I'm not going to correct it now, but I am going to make a note. He, he kind of opened the conversation at dinner on, is there a, uh, some sort of inverse correlation between um, intellectual capability and how social someone is. And hmm. so we were, we were talking about um, different people who were social, but also very, very brilliant. And Kissinger was one of those people who I kind of guess, given the jobs he had that he's social and yet is very, very brilliant. Hmm. I see. It was the correlation kind of just like, Hey, uh, if you're too smart, you're probably not particularly social. Was that kind of the, the, the gist? That was the question. He, he had seen a quote on some page he followed on Instagram that basically said that. And he said, what do you think about this quote? Hmm. My two cents was that if someone's very like much more intelligent than the people around them, then two things are going to, one of two things is going to happen. They're either going to forsake their intelligence to be social or they're going to forsake their peers to be highly intelligent. But if someone's in a high IQ peer peer group, they're going to be both intelligent and social. 
Hmm. So kind of the people that you spend time with matters a great deal. Right. I bet the inverse would be true if you're a, or not inverse, but if you reverse the roles of that first scenario of your unintelligent with a high IQ peer group, you're probably going to be fairly quiet. Although maybe that's not as true. I don't know. I just, I know sometimes when I'm with people who are, uh, well, okay, I can just think uh, when I did not have anything to really grasp a hold of and you and David would discuss something deep theological, it was like I had no input because you guys were using words in way that was un- words in ways that were unfamiliar to me and we were trying to sound smart with each other. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I, I couldn't tell the difference. Um, but it was just like, in order to enter into those conversations, I basically like, well, what did you mean when you said this? I haven't heard that word before, or I haven't used it in this kind of context. And it would essentially stop the conversation because I was, I was removed from the, I didn't have the context to be able to kind of enter into it, if that makes sense. Or enter into the flow. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't, I didn't have a right to any opinion, and you guys were usually arguing about something that you both had an opinion about, and so I couldn't, I couldn't even offer something one way or the other, except perhaps a question if I listened long enough. I find that that's the... You could have just said, brothers, dwell together in unity. Yeah, well, you guys were having fun. You were unified. <laughs> you, both would have just tur- you both would have turned on me if I had... Said, stop <laughs> arguing. I know uh, initially when when we had started the Bible study those many years ago, um, and like David did not understand why we argued as a group so much. He was like, "You guys aren't upset at each other, but you argue all the time." <laughs> and it's it, he just like couldn't. It didn't quite. It didn't quite make sense to him. At or at time. least I remember him saying something to that effect. But that he figured it out. At some, I mean, with you, he found a kindred spirit. I don't know. He, uh, yeah, we're, uh, I'm excited. I think this next week we're going to get together for, uh, one of the kids' birthdays. Uh huh. And I don't know that we've been together as a group for a pretty long time, but I'm pretty I thought, excited. I thought you guys were still meeting Monday nights. We are. We meet via Zoom. Tyler will put together, um, some questions and uh, some reading from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology. And then we kind of talk through, and eventually the plan will be for, a, you know, each couple to lead a, a discussion on something that there wasn't systematic theology for, like a chapter that we went through, but that there was something that they were particularly interested in. So something I think my wife and I would be interested in talking about from a systematic theology perspective would be... Prophecy. You think you're so funny. You are so pleased with that joke. No, not prophecy. <laughs> prophecy is more than we could take on, I think. Um, although I do keep getting ads in the mail for Prophecy Explained. Um, so, no, I think we would probably... Have you looked at the table of contents? Uh, no, they've just got pictures of like lions with eagle's wings and like fire... Oh, I meant of the book. <laughs> Of of what book? What are you talking about? Of the systematic theology book. Yeah. 
I've looked at the table of contents of the systematic theology. Why? Why? Because that's what's in there. Oh, is prophecy in there? And speaking in tongues and... Oh, no, no, no. I was talking about covering one that isn't covered in the book. So he doesn't talk about like... Um, Head coverings. Racial equality. He doesn't talk about... Um, exclusive psalmody. He probably doesn't talk about exclusive psalmody. Speaking of which, uh, my wife and I found... I'm not going to say it's it's... It's a very good candidate, and we have been going. We've we've gone regularly, and are planning on continuing to go regularly, unless the I don't know. We've only heard one pat one sermon from the pastor, and so uh-huh. we need we need a little more. Like, but it's it's a pretty small congregation. They seem kind of, I mean, not reformed. Where are they at? Uh, they're in Portland. They're it's called Grace City. Grace City, huh? Yeah, so they're a church plant out of Eugene, I think. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, um, but it's a yeah, it's a pretty small congregation. It's a it's a decent mix, but there was like they um I think see rightly as far as like following the laws of the land, which is important uh-huh. to us. Uh racial equality, which is important to us. Um they're biblically sound. And then my wife can be a member. And those are like, there's like five or six things where if they don't hit these points, then it would be, which we were prepared to say, okay, maybe one of these has to go. We're not sure which one, but we would be prepared basically unless my wife couldn't be a member. That was the only one we were not prepared to. Because of pedo-baptism. Yeah, because of pedo-baptism, which I'm, I'm excited to, uh, hopefully have a have a church family after a long time of not yeah so i'm excited for you too yeah thanks buddy what do you want to talk about personal Let development me... and scripture yeah um i also brought the gulag article i don't know if you looked at the the ascent chapter oh yeah i've so i've been listening to it actually as a as a matter of fact um and where are you at in it? <clears throat> i'm in chapter five Okay. So I was yeah, I'm, I'm a ways out. You're reading the abridged version, correct? Yes. Um Are you reading the full version? No. I started to an accident. It's too long. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there is some I, I've looked at part of the abridged one. He took out he, he talks in the forward about how he took some things out to appeal to American sensibilities and oh boy mm-hmm. did he. Oh yeah? Yeah. Like what? Oh, some of the stuff that they do with prisoners. Ju- yeah, the stuff they do to prisoners. Yeah, I, so in the one that I'm listening to, he's talked about that some, but it was like three sentences or something like that, and then and then he let go. Um, yeah, and I mean that's so. I'm in chapter. Yeah, I'm in chapter five. The first, I would say three. He talks a lot about kind of the really dark days of. Um, of of the gulag mm-hmm. which is i mean he, he he spends a long time talking about it i can't imagine this being expanded into three volumes well he spent eight years in there yeah man just uh and then he's collecting information mm-hmm. too from people who spent even longer periods yeah so um it's not just his experience yeah no i know he um i mean it was definitely uh 
passion project for him. Um, and I, and I think a story that needed to be told all these people's experiences. And, and I think, I think what's particularly hard is, is like listening to and understand that he's talking to people with this kind of enormous history of, of this. And, and what scared, one thing that kind of makes me nervous is seeing, it's kind of like when you see a couple of flakes as it's getting cold yeah. Like you just, you kind of think you're like, well, is it snow or is it just fat raindrops? Yeah. A- and, um, but you're not, you're not really sure. And it's like, was that, are those, are those behaviors, um, are those situations or those scenarios that are happening right now that I see the same as right. what he's describing? <clears throat> or is it, is it still just rain? Is it, you know, or has the temperature started to drop? And I don't know. I'm I'm not quite sure if that metaphor is is helpful or not. No, but. I think that that is very helpful. Um, I felt the same thing reading the book. Um, another uncomfortable thing for me was just the 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 even in the abridged version, the overwhelming nature of it almost started to make it so I felt like I was being desensitized to the horror of it. Mm. Even in the abridged version. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Which is uh, still a pretty beefy book. Yeah. I mean, it's some um, 468 pages. Yeah. Yeah. I've got mine right here. Do you have a, but, do you have um, a big, do you have a thick paper copy? Yeah. yeah. But, but as it pertains, I mean, he's, he's going through this, human depravity that existed in Russia and has the, we've seen, I mean, I mean, you sent me the, 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 the message about uh, Hitler spending time in prison and the people thought he'd been reformed and then come to find out. And depressed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was, he was totally not into, into whatever he'd been into before. And then yeah. 10 years later, um, yeah. And, and, and it was interesting because, as I mentioned to you, that Solzhenitsyn notes the same thing occurred with almost, I mean, kind of worse with Lenin and Stalin, where the Russian government sent them off to exile or prison. And it wasn't bad prison. It was like, you are on paid federal holiday and you oh. get an allowance from the government. And so you can just write. And send out your writings to your followers. Why did the government do that? Because they didn't want to appear harsh. Really? The czar wanted to appear to be uh, benevolent. Hmm. Well, you got to be harsh early. And then then you can let up. Well, that's definitely what Lenin and Stalin decided. Especially Stalin. That's what they learned? Uh, Well, didn't let up. I mean, Stalin was just like, I will be harsh until I am no more. Um, yeah, but in the midst of that depravity, one of the things that uh, Solzhenitsyn notes is just how it gave people, some people, the understanding that the real end goal of life is not the development of material um, abilities or wealth or possessions, but instead it's the prospering and development of the soul, and. Uh, 
there is a really interesting thing he says in this section after he's been talking about his, his really his, he talks about his conversion experience as the Dr. Cornfield shares the gospel with him in the hospital and then is murdered the next morning. Um, he, he talks about um, how the only solution would be that the meaning of earthly existence lies not as we have grown used to thinking and prospering, but in the development of the soul. And then he makes a statement from that point of view, our torturers have been punished most horribly of all. They are turning into swine. They are departing downward from humanity. And then he, at the very end of this section, he's talking about punishment and he says, punishment, question mark, but whose? Well, just think about that. Whose? Um, and I don't know if I need to read more to provide some context to that or if, if I, in summarizing, provided enough context to sort of think about that. But that was the, well, just think about that. I mean, it's, a, it's kind of like Jordan Peterson going through my head because he tends to say things like that a lot. But mm -hmm. um, that question, punishment, but whose? Well, just think about that. Whose? The idea that the jailers were the ones being punished and the people in prison who recognized that this earth is not our final home were being in some way rewarded. It's very counterintuitive, but very biblical. Yeah, yeah. I um, It's almost not like a punishment or reward. It feels... Like, that's the wrong word. Uh-huh. But uh, who's actually being harmed, truly? Right. Yeah, it's not who's being punished. You're right, harmed. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, who's being hurt is, I mean, obviously, it's the, I mean, it would be the, uh, the those who are in prison, those who are in the, gu uh, yeah, those who are in the gulag. I'm not quite sure if, as far as this, like, as far as saying the gulag versus the archipelago, you know what I mean? But yeah, it's, it's like waste correct. Um, in any case, it's like, I don't, who has it, who has it off worse? It would be the jailers, right? They've from an eternal perspective, from an eternal perspective in, and for, um, uh, you know, in the, where I'm at in the, at the beginning of the book, he, he talks about how the Germans have been, had their, like, have had their, you know, the Nazi jailers on, you know, trial. Yeah. And there's a certain point at which a lot of the jailers basically say, you know, they stop I'm guilty. Asking. What's that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm guilty. I'm guilty. Stop. I can't even look at what I've done. Yeah. And, um, and how he wants that for Russians, right? Who, right. you know, you wouldn't be able to take the same things away from the jailers at this point when he's writing this book, because they're all like 50 to 70 years old. You can't take, you can't take the same thing that they took from so many people. Yeah. You, he makes that point, but you can take kind of back some of the dignity of those who survived and you can like 
is like the lesson that we've learned, which I actually think we're kind of seeing play out now in that society is that no real punishment happens. No real, there's never really a call to account for your actions, Mm -hmm. which is flatly not true in with an eternal perspective right we do have to account for ourselves and as i'm thinking about it it actually someone he seems to be making the case here that someone who really grasps this well they recognize that they're being blessed eternally if they're the one imprisoned in so the not the jailers <laughs> yeah um they they experience the benefit of that even in the midst of the horrible physical suffering they're enduring, physical and psychological suffering they're enduring. Although it's probably really easy to forget that. Right. I mean, I know I certainly would. Or at least I think I would. It's hard to say no to put yourself in the half the situations that he talks about. I mean, I actually like uh, another podcast that I've listened to quite a bit. I eventually just had to stop because he of how much he focuses on he calls it the it's dan carlin um oh i remember you telling me about just he focuses on the darkest moments of history almost and he he calls them the extreme the extremes of the human experience Mm -hmm. um but he doesn't ever really talk about anything euphoric he just basically talks about battle and um he talks about torture of criminals and how different you know i mean there's a lot of at least he talks about torture of criminals, real criminals. Yeah, I mean, he tells he he tells a lot of like firsthand um, experiences from soldiers that were in the trenches in World War II, and he he like that's kind of he does this. He's a very good storyteller, but he'll zoom in and zoom out and zoom in and zoom out, and he he just mm-hmm. weaves it together very, um, very well. But then he'll like. And he doesn't, I don't even know that he necessarily glorifies it, but he just, you know, why did those who fought on the Pacific front have so much, I mean, there was, there was more PTSD there than there was in the, in the, than in the um, European theater, in the European theater. And so he, and he talks about basically why he thinks that is, and then goes into detail about what they experienced and he tells story after story after story after story um, about how the Japanese treated their prisoners or lack thereof, what they did to amuse themselves. And like with their. Oh, so he's talking about how the, why the POWs have more PTSD or. Or yeah, why it was such a worse experience. I mean, not that either would have been fun, but why it was a worse experience to fight in the Pacific War or the Pacific Theater than the European Theater. Was it just the POW experience or was it other stuff? Uh, no, I mean, I'll give you just the smallest taste. Um, often after like a battle happened and there would be dead, you know, everybody would be laying out, right? And they would go over to collect their wounded or take any prisoners if there was somebody else who was wounded. Um, Japanese people would pretend to be like the soldiers would pretend to be dead and then pull a grenade and, mm-hmm. and, and kill themselves. And along with three or four others, um, they often favored like night attacks. And so you'd be in your foxhole 
and and a Japanese person would jump in with you and and it was like a struggle with hand-to-hand combat which basically every other army at that time avoided hand-to-hand combat as much as possible and um, the Japanese army didn't that's interesting because because those same things played out in Korea and then again in Vietnam mm-hmm. so yeah, that yep. seems to be more of a eastern kind of mo mm-hmm. than a western mo for sure yeah and then i mean and he you know one of the i don't know if uh someone who was japanese was captured it was like they expected i don't, I don't know quite how to phrase it and so I'm, I'll, I'll just i'll just shy away but yeah it wasn't seen as they expect to be treated like human waste i think so and and to like show their bravery by enduring even to the last you know whereas in in the western on the european front um generally there was like expected that you would like okay we captured you like it's not going to be great but you know you have i think for the most part if you were captured by the germans or um well i'm just going to say germans or me and one more two was Italians. Russia. What's that? Italians. But wasn't at the beginning, wasn't Russia part of the Axis? Yeah, they, they quickly tried to get people to forget that, though. Oh, did they? Hmm. Oh. Any, in any case, but if you were, well, actually, probably from what we're reading, probably not the Russians. Um, but you had a reasonable expectation of sanitary, mm-hmm. like regular, maybe not very much, but regular food. Well, Solzhenitsyn actually goes into the, the treatment of Russian prisoners and Russian prisoners of war in the German camp and Russian captives. Yeah. So, I, yeah. Did he... They didn't treat other nationalities better than they treated the Russians, did they? The Germans? No. The Russians. If they had captured a German, they would would they have treated them the same way? As they treated their their own captives, it's. I mean, I mean, like you pointed out, the Russian like the thing that's played out in Russia is no one is punished consistently. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing that is consistent is everyone is punished. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's not like a you're this category, therefore this happens. It's just sort of like you are in this situation. You were in Russia and we don't like you. Yeah. Yeah. You're going, we're going to make your life miserable. Or you have something I want. Or, um, I think one thing that was, was the hardest to read was he like, you know, for the jailers at a certain point, it became whatever you wanted was yours. That wife, that, that man's wife is pretty like take, take the husband, take her Mm -hmm. and put him in jail and tell her she can either be with her new husband yeah. <laughs> or whatever or she can go to the gulag yeah yeah and you just it's just like unlimited power to somebody who uh yeah yeah it's just uh it's a difficult uh it's a difficult read for sure um and we could probably talk more and more about all of the difficulties and mm-hmm. hardness of it um i think I think one thing that we can can glean in particular from it um, would be the your uh, just kind of kind of where we started with this this quote that 
that life does not consist of the things you have, but of your, the development of your soul. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it's not development towards wealth in how much money you have or the, the material possessions that you have, but like your wealth towards God. Right. Right. And you're, 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 you're growing closer to God. Um, and he made a really important point er, earlier on in the book um, where he said the only people who made it through the interrogations without caving to the demands to say that you were guilty or even caving to the demands to rat out, make up charges against other people was if you fixed in your mind that you were as your life was over as it had been and mm. what mattered more than your there were thi- there were things that mattered more than your life here and now and you were going to live as w- with eternity in mind and e- only in eternity yeah he doesn't yeah, exactly I, say it that way but that's that's definitely the idea that he has and he even talks about how one um, woman in particular who was, uh, I think he said she was like a stenographer or something like that and had no, no real, I guess, force of presence about her mm-hmm. in her, in her past life or whatever. But she did, she counted herself as dead. She counted herself as dead. And like when, the, when she was taken and no matter how much they tried to get her to confess, she ended up like the interrogator had her in some kind of room with other people, I think other interrogators, and he basically needed to take a break. And instead of her being in like some cell, she was basically told to sit there and shut up. And she preached. Yeah. Yeah. That was an incredible story. And then people started going, Oh really? Like this is, no, this is the truth. (laughs) Yeah. And and the interrogator gets back and he goes, what's what happened? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What, what, what boldness. Um, but people were so starved for the truth that just like, like you mentioned, she didn't have this incredible charismatic figure. She just presented the truth. Yeah. And I mean, and kind of what got us started a little bit down this road, um, from a text was, I think you had been asked the question is personal development, uh, biblical at all. Um, what, the question I've been asked was what's a good story from the Bible on developing human potential. Yeah. Huh. I wonder. Yeah. So, I mean, I've got a few that I wrote down. Yeah. Did you, and and we, we, we texted about a few of them, but you see Daniel one, right. Where Daniel and his compatriots, right. They really Mm -hmm. apply themselves in Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar's rule. That is a really good one. And yeah. God blesses them. Absolutely. He in does. how they stay, they consider themselves dead to themselves. Definitely. Yeah. And they're, they're not doing it for their own. They're not doing it to get rich quick or to get rid of desire so that they might not have pain. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a, something that is, I think pretty popular. And there's, there's like a tinge of truth to it, right? It's the, 
the tinge of truth is is that if you strongly desire many things in this world, you're going to be unhappy because circumstances are often not going to be right. But instead of saying, I don't want anything, instead to want the thing that you were made for, which is Jesus, mm-hmm. right, then you can be satisfied. And glorifying and praising him. Yes, I mean, satisfied in Jesus by glorifying him and praising him. Absolutely. I, I read a quote just this evening that was in essence saying God put breath into Adam so that Adam might breathe praise out to him. Hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, you get into a question that I get into there is like, well, the angels were already praising God. Why did he want, like, why did he? I mean, a really quick answer to that, I think is in Hebrews where um, it seems to point out that, we humankind are are made in God's own image, mm. whereas the angels are not. So, the, so the angels are a, a created being that praises God, but they aren't a created being in God's own image. That's a really good answer. It's a different thing going on there. Hmm. Okay. Um, we also see Samuel who applies himself under oh who's the who's the priest at that time he's got the two bad sons Eli Eli yeah so we see Samuel apply himself to learn um and do do as well as he can we also see uh David while he is not yet king um and even you know with David and Goliath kind of at the beginning of of that passage we also see uh, we see David talking about how when he applied himself at the the small experiences, mm-hmm. right? And and he saw how like he was trying, right? And and trusting, and the Lord, he knew that the Lord would deliver him out of the mouth of the lion and the bear. Yeah, um, and uh, right. So we we also see this in Jesus in Luke two. Um, as Jesus applies himself to study well and learn, and he grows in stature among and in favor with God and man, right? That's not a story in particular, but it is a example. Yeah. Um, and then there's, there's two more that I can think of Two Peter one, three through 15, which, um, I don't have it memorized and, uh, I'm not going to look it up right this second, but it talks about adding to faith, godliness to godliness, brotherly affection to brotherly affection, love. And it, there's a, there's kind of an order that it's, mm-hmm. it's directing you towards. Um, and so that's kind of another, that's, a, that's not just an example, not just a story that is a command. Um, and then there's also, I'm thinking of the parable of the talents to be responsible with the small things, which is essentially what personal development is to be responsible with the small things. Yeah, I really appreciate how you've shared those stories. Another one that just kind of came to my mind as you were mentioning them, and this fits well with doing well in the small things, is the story of Ruth, who Mm -hmm. leaves her home, her homeland, with nothing. But what she starts with is that, that promise that Naomi's God will be, that she will serve Naomi's God. Okay. And it goes from there to providing food, working to provide food for her and Naomi, mm-hmm. to 
eventually she's in the line of Jesus. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's kind of another, uh, one of those like responsible in the small things or not even the small things. That's like almost a tenaciousness, right? A yeah. tenacity. Um, but it starts out with nothing to small things. So it does still have that, but you're right. It is a huge thing to just go leave your homeland and, well, and essentially be told like, no, go away. Like, no, yeah. I'm going to stay with you. No, go away. It's like. Even if I should have a son today, would he, would you wait for him? Yeah. No, no, I, I probably, no, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what Ruth would have. I don't know what Ruth actually said to that, but yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It's it just, uh, man, when you asked me that question, which I know was trying to kind of goad me into, you know, and I think you had been asked that. I'd, I'd just been asked that a couple hours earlier. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's especially to you or me. I don't know if the person, I don't know how well they know you, but it's like, uh, man, if, if it's not biblical to work on personal development, I have wasted years of my life. Oh, that's, huh. That's interesting that you read it that way. Cause that's definitely not what I texted. If it's not biblical, you heard me say that twice. Is that why you're like, yeah. Cause the, the question I texted was, what is a Bible story about achieving human potential? And so what I heard was, is there even a Bible story that that talks about that? Right. And let me, let me, what is a Bible story? Is there, and so I basically read, is there even said, a Bible oh, story? Oh, interesting. And that was why I was like, yeah, it feels like a pointed question. Like, is there even one? Because it, because you could, I think there's plenty of Christians who don't work on who don't think about personal development the way that I do or the way that you do, I think. And part of it, I, is it a weird sort of form of Gnosticism? Like, I don't want it to be Gnosticism. And that's, that was, that was my, also my initial response to like, I don't want that to be true because I was specify the, that just thank you. for my thank clarification you. in the audiences. Oh yeah. I guess there's an audience here. Um, the, that I don't want it to be true that, uh, personal development isn't Christ-like. Okay. Because if that's true, if it's... I'm with you there, buddy. Because if it's true, then one, that means I've I've wasted a fair amount of my life and I would have been better off before, but I, but I, I cannot make that fit because I used to be... I don't know how I functioned before I got this mindset. Right. Like, I don't know how other people dealt with me. I was such a mess and I'm still a mess, but I'm like, at least I'm a mess in a direction. This is bringing another, another, the parable of the talents. Yeah. 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 Where it's like, I was irresponsible with myself. Very irresponsible. Burying the the talent we've been given. No, I was, I had, I had $5 and instead of burying it, I was like, Let's see how far I can skip the quarters. Like that was my life, man. And it was just like, someone's like, Hey Daniel, doesn't seem like you have a lot of money. Maybe you shouldn't do that. And I'm like, (laughs) but I got 20 skips this time. (laughs) (laughs) I like slot machine. Yeah. Basically just, just wasting it. And, and then I guess it would be like six or seven years ago. I got in this group, (laughs) people who were like, yeah, we're kind of screwed up too, but let's try to figure this out together. And there was one guy who was there who was like, 
I know where you want to go because I'm three steps ahead of you. And he, I mean, he was more than three steps, but it like, it took a long time and I've he, like through the Lord's blessing have healed a lot of the relationships that I damaged before. And, you know, it, there's like, I don't know. I'm healthier than I used to be. I've like, by skipping those gold coins. In I'm the skim- ocean. just, yes, gold coins, no quarters for me, man. And, and it's just like, I can get things done now. And before it was like, and I still see these tendencies where like I, and my wife will be the first to say, like, I'll start, I'll, I'm so happy to start a project. I'll start any project in the world. And then getting, getting past that first, you know, first oomph is, is something, but then finishing it all the way through. Like that's the practice now. And I think a lot of people, I don't know. That's just, yeah. Sorry. I kind of, I kind of ranted there for a minute. That's something I have to work on too, is just figuring out. And I think part of it is figuring out how to scope a project or break up a project into chunks that I can chunk through on before things kind of go down in terms of motivation. Yeah. yeah, yeah Because yeah. I mean, like with the work I was doing today, on the tires and the, the, the tractors kind of, I knew it was something I could get done today. And so I got it done today, even though it took me way longer than I thought it was going to take me. Oh, so, so that's something I've been thinking about is, okay, how do I, I, I guess it does kind of come down to developing a system for assessing something I want to get done and breaking it into chunks. So I say, this is, where I want to get to now. And this is how it fits with the whole project. Yeah. I know this. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I have two thoughts. One is I know this couple, um, who actually the husband is somebody who at some point we could have on the show. Sweet. Uh, His name is Benjamin. I used to call him Ben. Um, when I would talk about him with my wife's family and they had never known him that way. Uh And it was very confusing. But Benjamin is a long name. Anyway, uh, but him and his wife, they when, when we were talking with them about this, because we it's not just me that has this this issue. My wife does as well. We both get excited about a project and then we'll start it and then like mm-hmm. and we're not as excited about it anymore. We could just shelve that for a bit. Um, got a spare room. We got a spare room. Which is now flooded, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but they don't start. I, I, and there's probably projects that they ha- they have to just get done. They just have to get done, but Gotta plunge that toilet. They don't start a project that they can't like a, a project on their house that they can't finish in a weekend. And if it does is going to take more, okay. than a, more than a weekend or more than a Saturday, I'm, I'm 90% sure that they don't work on it on Sundays. Um, uh-huh. They'll say like, okay, what's it like? What is an actual, we can live with this finishing point that we could accomplish on Saturday. And so they'll like, they'll take the whole day and do Uh the work. And then if they don't work on it for a month, they can still have company over. They can still feel like things aren't crazy. Right. It's like, it's very doable. That is a good, I like that idea for a system. Like what is, am I, am I cool with half the wall being one color and the other half being another color? If I am, go for it. If not. Yeah. Or. I tape a point in the wall where I'm going to finish two. Yeah. And then it's at, at the very least, it's a clean line. Right. Right. You know, and maybe that's fine. 
right? Even if somebody comes over and they're like, that that line looks stupid. You should paint the whole wall white. It's like, yeah, but it looks like I meant to do that. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, at the very least. You'd be a little bit snarky. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so so that was my first thought. My second thought uh-huh. is related to kind of what I'm doing for normally when people, when you're starting a habit or you're starting, you're going to start to try to do a habit. You're like, you know, some of the advice is don't, don't bite off too many things at once. So I have taken that and uh, done the opposite, basically. <laughs> I, I just okay. I, I kind of want to do an experiment this next year. I don't know how it'll go. I've got 40 different behaviors. I'm going to try to get up to 52 okay. that fit into a number of different aspirations, right? 52 behaviors. Yep. Do you know anything else that has has the number 52? Well, I'm just trying to think of 10 behaviors. Uh, okay. Well, I've spent some time on it. I didn't just it wasn't just off the cuff. No, I I'm 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 not saying it was. I'm I'm just <laughs> And I'm going to... to try to start a new one each week in 2022. But there's a there's a somewhat of a caveat. Okay. My expectation isn't that I will have 52 new behaviors come December 20th. Of, you want to see what sticks. I kind of want to see what sticks. Yeah. And so my That's only my only kind of uh, measure of success is. Am I doing the behavior that I said I would this week? And and you're going to, how are you going to document this? I don't know. So that you can go back. I haven't figured that out. So I, what there's, I, there's a book in that, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. I'm serious. If you actually documented that. Well, maybe I will. That'd be fun. Or video blogged it. I don't know. Video blogged it. All right. Well, I'm curious. Can you like can give a some? sneak peek what? of like three beat? Like, how are you defining a behavior? Yeah, well, well, let me... me, Fascinated. So, uh, this other (laughs) podcast that I've listened to, they do themes for the year instead of... So, I'll I'll read my aspirations. Okay. uh, And then... (laughs) uh, So, uh, be clean, be thoughtful, be fit, love Jesus, have enough money, create, enjoy relationships, be grounded. Okay? Do those make sense? Have enough money. Have enough what does money. that look like for one week? <laughs> oh, that's a good question. These are aspirations. These are not behaviors. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry. So these are these are kind of what the uh, aspirations. Okay. I was thinking them as behaviors, but you, you did say aspirations. Yeah. yeah. So these are aspirations. All of the behaviors should fit into one of these. Because um, I was thinking that like love Jesus for just one week. Yep. Daniel. Yep, you got it. You got it. I'll just read. I'm trying to. Okay. So one of the things is editing our podcast within 72 hours of recording. Um, you and I have talked about this. The listeners probably know from the uh, desert during the <laughs> summer of like, anyway, so that was something I wasn't consistent with. Uh, sleep eight hours, journal 10 minutes a day, write in my story 10 minutes a day, do my oh. inky questions, uh, do inky questions every day, um, listen to books on commute instead of podcasts, follow a Bible plan, find a Bible plan. So some of these, it's like, that's a one-time behavior. I need to find a Bible plan that I can stick with. Well, editing the podcast in 72 hours is a one to zero time behavior, depending on when we do a podcast that we. That is true. Yeah. Uh, so spend 10 minutes each day learning how to code, uh, cut hair every week on the same day. 
that's just an annoyance thing. Do not buy fast food. I have a hard time packing lunch and then, but that that's like a, that's a fitness and a health or excuse me, a fitness as <laughs> a fitness and a money thing. Have, have right. you ever played around with just skipping, skipping lunch and drinking coffee? I have, I get jittery. And then basically what happens is let's say, let's say that. So when I have consistently not purchased lunch, when I don't pack it or uh-huh. when I purposefully don't eat lunch, I am a piggy when I get home. Like I can't eat enough. Yep. Um, and so I think for some people that works well as a, as a thing, but for me, it does not work particularly well. So I don't know. What do you think? you like, Daniel, just be more disciplined. No, I was just, I was just curious. How do you, do you do that on a regular basis? I think I remember you recently Every, said like off and on, off and on. Generally it's if we don't have any leftovers. <laughs> yeah. And that works. And if, I mean, and if it works for you, it works. But anyway, so I've got, uh, let's see, as a, as a check-in, I have, I have, I thought I had 40, I have 35 items on here. But, but just that list is, is really helpful for me kind of, because I think I was thinking more aspirations when you mentioned 35 or 52, 52 behaviors. And I was going, do I have 52 things I even care about? (laughs) Maybe that was part of my problem. <laughs> but then you started saying things like, don't eat yeah. fast food for a week. Code yeah. 10 minutes a day. Uh, yeah. Journal every day. Yeah. Whatever that it is. makes a lot more sense. Yeah. This sounds intriguing. Yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely interesting. Even just after writing the list, like one of the things was, one of the aspirations I had was... Um, being being clean i'm a messy person but i'm much happier when i've like when i come home and there's no clutter on the kitchen table Mm -hmm. or uh at the very least like and the bathrooms have been cleaned recently and you know there's not stuff where it doesn't belong um and after writing that down i found a a book that you know i could just borrow um like an audio book and listen to it and since then we like one of the things that i had was do the dishes every night or have the dish the, you know have either the dishwasher going or empty have the or, sink be empty exactly um that's pretty much been true every night except for maybe one or two nights since i started that mm-hmm. um and it's you know it really only takes it doesn't even take 10 minutes to do right it is shocking how fast that goes when it actually gets done. And the the perception of work versus the actual work is is so far off. It's so skewed. I have no idea why we have it in our mind that a pile that's like six inches or like 10 inches by, I don't know, it's like a 12 foot cube. And it's like, ah, this is going to take me an hour. It's like, no. It take, what's that? 12 inch cube. not foot What did cube. I say? 12 foot cube. Yeah, it's a twelve foot cube of dishes. It's in not my that sink. big. I have a pool as my sink. <laughs> we just fill it up, and then once a week we do the dishes. <laughs> it's one of those um, infinity pools. Anyway, <laughs> should have you over again. Um, you put it on top of your deck. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Anyway, 
Yeah, so a 12-inch cube, it's like, oh, that's going to take me so long. And then it's like, I said, you know, you set a timer for 10 minutes and then you, you're done. You're like, oh, I've got seven minutes left. I only got five minutes into my podcast. Yeah, but the other thing was, is like our laundry before this week was just stupid. It was like, there's two of us. There shouldn't be this much laundry in the house. We shouldn't even <laughs> own this many clothes. What is going on? The cats. <laughs> our cats don't wear clothes, Kyle, <laughs> as a matter of fact. Or did you mean they got our clothes messy? No, I meant that they you were dressing them in little outfits. <laughs> and they just keep running out in the yard, getting them dirty and having to be... <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. I absolutely refuse to dress our cats under no circumstances. Telling your wife, you're telling your wife that she has to stop buying white outfits for the cat. (laughs) 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 Too much laundry. Too much laundry. Anyway, it's like black. (laughs) Okay, Kyle, we're going to focus up. You ready? Ready. Okay. It's like, you just do a load a day Uh and it's all done. And you just have to keep doing a load a day. And some days you won't even have a load of stuff to do. And then it's like, oh, well, that's all right. And then after you put the load in, and if you if there's a dryer, then you take the stuff that's dry out, and then you fold it. And you essentially do a load in like completely in a day, or most of a load. If you don't have anything to fold, you've only done half a load, and that's okay. Uh-huh. But it's just like, oh, these are very adult things <laughs> that... Probably a lot of people have figured out, and for some reason, I needed a a chart with a list of things to do to follow that only takes ten minutes, but is just makes so many other things so easy. I think one thing I appreciated about the book is that the except for the um like charts, it was probably like eighty pages, maybe a hundred. At the Which very book is this? Uh, simply clean or something. I don't know. I can put it on the thing. That sounds like something you find in the cleaning aisle at Walmart. Oh, it is called Simply Clean by Re- Becky uh, Repinchuk. Repinchuk. The Simply Clean method: a clean house in only ten minutes a day. It's actually two sessions of ten minutes a day. It's like ten minutes before you go to work and ten minutes after. But okay, whatever. The only thing is, is that um, my wife hates it when I make the bed while she's still in it. Well, there's a way to solve that. You got to get up. I got to make the bed. Well, I was going to say last one out makes the bed. Yeah. Anyway. Well, I think, I think that's most of what I wanted to chat about. We've been talking for a few minutes. That was a good far ranging discussion. It was, it was discussion. a little bit meandering. Um, I will say that the most recent podcast that I edited, we talked about nothing for almost 15, 20 minutes. Like we talked yeah, about, there were a couple we, of those in there. We talked about the weather, and we, and we talked <laughs> like, and we talked about very like temporary COVID things for almost twenty minutes. And I just like cut, cut, not interested. Like <laughs> word vomit, word vomit. Yeah, yeah. I think I might have left that part in because you seemed to like it, and it was. I do like it. You do like it. Have you used I've it? Been, I've been using it. Okay, very good. Uh, well, okay. Well, thanks for the, the lively conversation. And uh, we can check in about my uh, million little things. That's what I called it.
Hey guys, Daniel again. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a rating on whatever service you use. If you didn't, there's contact info in the show notes. We'd love to hear your feedback. There's also a link to support us financially if you're so inclined. Thanks so much.